Good afternoon, everybody. Um, this this is impressive. Just about every seat is filled up. This is thank you so much for coming to today's program. Um, my name's Paul Chasen. I'm the Grants Collection Librarian at the Enoch Pratt Free Library State Library Resource Center. And today is Grant Seeking Basics. So today's program is geared towards those of us that are grant seeking for nonprofits. And if it's your first time ever learning about grant seeking, or maybe you know a little bit, but want to learn a little more, maybe you need a refresher, today's your class. And in particular, I focus on private grant seeking, which I'll explain in further detail as we go along. Um, today's program is the second of the September through June time period for the grants collection. And so there's going to be more public programs coming up. Towards the end, I'll make sure to highlight which programs will be coming up in October and November. And I'll make sure you have information on how to get that um, too in case you need more time to think about those options. So to kick things off... Most common statement at the grants collection. I don't even get the, it as a question to usually start things off. It's usually just a statement, I need a grant. This isn't going to be the type of program today where there's going to be a lot of interactivity, but this is one where you're at a table, you might be sitting next to one person, maybe you're with a few others. I'd like for you to spend about four to five minutes talking with those that are around you about one question. And keep in mind that you are looking for grants as a not, for a nonprofit organization. The one question is, why do I need a grant for my nonprofit organization? Talk about it amongst those that are near you. And for those two two people in the room that are going to be brave enough to meet with the grant maker in about four or five minutes you'll have the opportunity to talk to me in front of everyone else about why you need a grant go ahead and talk <laughs> 30 seconds Okay, time is up. So, we've had plenty of time to talk, get to meet each other, talk about some grants, get to know maybe a little bit more about your nonprofit, your reason why you're here today. Now, the part where I need two brave, brave volunteers is to talk to me about why you need a grant for your nonprofit organization. Here's the catch. You have one minute to tell me why you need a grant. So who would like to volunteer? Uh, uh, hold, hold on, before you start talking, come on up. <laughs> brave, brave soul. Yes. I don't know about brave, man. 
So what is your name? My name is Jacqueline Williams. And I was talking to, what's your name? Connie Tuggle. And um, we were discussing about um, getting a grant, why she needed a grant. She said she noticed every, um, when school's over, the kids that come into this church where she's doing, currently doing volunteer work, and she knows the children are not eating. They're not being fed, you know, during the summertime. I guess if they're not getting mail, meals at, for lunch or whatever, they get a breakfast at school, they're not getting them, you know, once school is closing. So it's in her heart to start a nonprofit at this church where she's doing volunteer. She don't, she don't know how to get started. And she's coming, she came today to see how to get this started where she can get funding to feed the children, not only feed them, if possible, to uh, have some activities, um, monies to do activities for the school, even, you know, arts and crafts, or if they allowed her to bring in computers. And she came just like me, and I, I, have, I must confess, same reason I came today, I was just trying to get a ballpark idea or how to get started, get how to get this nonprofit off the ground. You know, everything I need for if I need money for a building uh, or renovation of a building. Okay. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thank you for representing Connie on the table too. Guidelines. You know, it some of of what grant seeking has to deal with is the time aspect. And you only have a certain amount of time to meet those um, application rules, procedures, guidelines. So I think you did not only a good amount explaining why you need grants, but you also spoke on behalf of others. And um, that's quite a task in one minute. Who is the second person? Okay. Okay. Good job. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, What's your name? Christopher Kane. Your time starts now. Okay. Um, I work for the National LGBT Museum in Washington, D.C., and we are an upstart museum, um, and we're creating a museum of history and culture for the community. (sighs) Sorry, I'm a little nervous. (laughs) Um, And it's a huge project. I mean, um, the capital campaign, we need to raise $250 million to build a building. Um, And I think museums are a very important way um, for minority groups to... Um, kind of continue the fight against discrimination, you know, by establishing, you know, why culturally we are important and significant and why we have a history that's worth celebrating and sharing with people. So, let's see, what else should I say? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so we need money for a lot of different things. Um, we need money for, for outreach, we need money for um, getting the word out, we need money for um, for housing our collections, we already have five thousand objects, and it's really expensive to store. And you know, professional awesome. museums are silly. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. Wow! Once again, fit in as much as possible. Figure out a way to get those grant makers. Figuring out a way to get those grant makers to really get your attention. Um, now, for those of you that did volunteer, um, you do deserve a little bit more than just coming up and speaking. So, you're welcome. thank you. You're you're welcome. So, yep. As we found out, this is not easy to make an argument. 
but I was trying my best to just take notes on what you all were saying, whether it was for your own organization or on behalf of another or for yourself. And the part that I got was um, what's inspired you to want funding for your nonprofit. I heard key words like activities, maybe uh, subject areas like arts and crafts. I heard church, which, you know, when you're a church, you have to definitely read the guidelines to find out which foundations give to churches or give to synagogues or give to various uh, religious organizations. So I heard these key words. I also heard the part about getting started on, and there was the part where, do you already have a nonprofit set up or are you um, in the process of getting one started up? That's good to know, too, is that we're still in the process of starting a nonprofit. And then on your end, I heard the museum. You mentioned a part about how there's this big capital campaign going on. And and one part that I noticed was that you were giving a lot of history behind the organization and and about why you need funding. So there's this part where we're getting a lot of background information. And then you explained um, what types of support you need. Every single time do this activity, and I'll do this at every single program, but there's always one part that seems to always be missing. The specific amount that you need. Did anyone actually hear them say, I need this amount of money? (laughs) But was that for the grant? No, not for the (laughs) grant. Yeah. That was for a capital campaign, but that was good. At least you gave a picture of how much it is for that campaign, but there actually wasn't a specific amount that was said about, I need $1,000, I need $5,000, I need $500. What do you, how do you think the foundation um, would, would feel if they were reading through a proposal or, or meeting you for the first time and you told them all these great details about your nonprofit, yet you didn't mention the part about how much you're actually asking for. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, you know, I guess in the end, we, we love our storytelling, we love our, our numbers, but we, we are trying to uh, stay running too, and foundations want to know um, how much to give. So that's something to think about with today's program is you're um, doing the grants research. You always want to keep in the back of your mind, how much do I need from these foundations? And then there's the parts where there were some specifics and some broad ideas that were given on why you need the money. When it comes to grants, especially foundation grants, you really have to think about that program or project that's a priority that needs grant funding. Because you just can't ask for every project in your organization to get grant funded. You have to have various ways of raising funds. Something to keep in the back of your mind as we're going through today's program. And also there's the part on just making sure you have a nonprofit set up. I'm going to go over in just a few minutes about why you have to have that nonprofit either set up already or why you have to have a certain type of status in order to even get foundation grants in the first place. So um, thank you again for, sh- for just being brave enough to come up here and really just speak about a difficult topic right in front of everyone. And um, I hope you got to know each other too. 
So before we get into the agenda, um, good um, some little house cleaning to go over. If you do need to use the restroom, just make sure you go down the hall to the left. You're going to see a water fountain on the right-hand side right before the water fountain is the restroom. It's one restroom, so in case you really need to go and you can't wait, go downstairs one floor, and the men's and women's restrooms are near the gate area. Men's is one more floor downstairs, and the women's is in back of the security gate. And um, if you haven't done so already, feel free to get coffee, tea, water, snacks. And um, if you have to move around, if you have to take a call, which, by the way, if you have your cell phone... Please make sure you have it on silent. If you have to to excuse yourself, by all means, you got to do what you got to do. And what we're going to try to do today is do get some learning in as much as possible till 2.45. So that way the last 15 minutes can be used if you want to continue networking or come up to me and ask questions, whether it's grant seeking or something that's also nonprofit or grants collection related. So with um, today's agenda, I just want to make sure there's four key parts that are covered. One is before you seek a grant. What do you have to have in place before you start looking for the foundations? You're going to notice a lot today, too, with how I'm sometimes saying foundations, I'm sometimes saying grant maker. When I do that, I do mean the same thing, foundation, grant maker, because there's all types of grant makers. We're going to learn a little bit about the grant-making road because while it's great to know about what's local, what's in your community, what's in the state of Maryland when it comes to the grant to grant makers, it's good to get the big picture as well. I want to make sure you know how to match make. So that's where the third part comes in, identifying funders and then can't help being a librarian and giving you plenty of resources at the end. In your packet of information, you do have a subject guide in there with more websites, and you do have some other sheets that will be covered along the way. And um, the information that you receive today that you have in packet form after the program's over with within the week, I'll email all of this to you too, so that way you have something for your own record stored in your email. Something else that you might want to um, keep in mind in the back in the back of your mind when you're thinking about today's program is that this is only the beginning. That is, you know, you're at today's program, but I really hope this is just the start of more training or more opportunities that you can look into. Just one piece of the puzzle. Okay, so first part. Where you seek a grant, eligibility. Most private foundations look for that 501c3 status. That's the public charity status. There are several different types of 501c's out there in this world. I don't remember the count off the top of my head, but I think it might be over 20. 501c1, 2, 3, 4, keeps going. 501c3 is really what the majority of foundations um, look for for your eligibility status. So you're tax registered, you've done the 1023 form as a 501c3, you're a public charity that gives in some way, maybe you give towards um, arts and culture. Anyone here represent an arts and culture organization? 
maybe you give towards something that's a community development, very community-centric type of organization. Anyone here, neighborhood, community organization? Okay. Anyone just uh, educational type of nonprofit that's in the building? Those are just a few areas that a public charity might cover. There's also health services, human services, lots of different areas, nonprofits that can become public charities. Mission statement. Oh, and by the way, 501c3 status as well. Sometimes there's what's known as fiscal sponsorship, where a nonprofit or a group of people that maybe don't want to go through the entire process of starting a nonprofit Maybe they want to get fiscally sponsored by another 501c3. If you want to learn more about fiscal sponsorship, where if you have fiscal sponsorship, you would qualify for grants, please see me after today's program, and I can give you more information about fiscal sponsorships. Yeah, uh, fiscal sponsorship is where you, you might be a part of a group that has a program or a project, and maybe you don't want to go through that whole process of starting a nonprofit doing all the tax forms. So what you do instead is you find a nonprofit that is willing to let you borrow that status. That's, five, that's fiscal sponsorship in a nutshell. Mission statement, nonprofit startup status, that one statement, that one statement should be able to explain what your nonprofit's all about. Foundation's going to look at your nonprofit history, and they're going to want to learn more about you when you're seeking them. So that one statement should explain why your nonprofit is unique, stands out compared to other nonprofits. And then you have to have a board of directors. Um, anyone know in Maryland what the minimum um, is for board of directors how many people have to be a part of board of directors is it this amount five yeah every every state is different every state is different but in maryland it's five so when you're looking up foundations if foundations are in maryland they should have five on their board but if they're outside of maryland it's possible they might only have three a lot of nonprofits have way more than five. And really, this board, this is your organization's face. This is their this is their picturesque, this is what you remember them by type of face. This board should represent your community, should represent your subject area for your nonprofit. The board should be important people that others recognize. And sure, um, we might have a nonprofit where there's a couple of family members, maybe one or two on board, because that happens as well. But there should be some other fa uh, people outside of family. And ethically, you have to make sure that there's more outside your family that represent your organization, that can be that connection to your nonprofit and that other people in community see, oh yeah, that board person, they're a part of that nonprofit. This must be something good. But more information. We, we've covered the part where we have the 
parts where we absolutely have to have in place the 501c3, the mission, the board of directors. But then there's these other parts that equally have to be in play. High quality programs that meet a community's needs. These programs should be the type that have already proven themselves. That is, you have a program that's maybe been supported in other ways, and now you're trying to get a funder on board. That's one way of looking at a program that's high quality and meets the community needs. You have somehow documented, have evaluations on your programs, and you know that they meet the needs of your specific community. But if the program hasn't been around, maybe this is a new program, then maybe there's something very innovative about that program that will meet your community needs that the funder wants to see from your nonprofit. So anyone in here have a program that you know is really reaching out to your community? Yes. That would be actually um, fantastic if you can just tell me just a little bit. You don't have to get into the word, but just a little bit about your program. Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, I am really passionate about opening up a nonprofit for homeless people. And um, I can talk. So I, I'm going to try to make it short. Um, I know that, and I've actually talked to some, that like not every homeless person is on drugs or, you know, some people just fall on really hard times. And honestly, I'm one paycheck away from being homeless myself. So I just think it's really important to understand that they are people too. And um, I just want to give them an opportunity to make something of themselves. Because, you know, when you're homeless, you, you're so down and out that you might, you just really don't have the resources. You don't know where to get the resources. So I just want to give them a second chance at life. Thank you very much for sharing. And um, what, what this really, it's good that you know you want to serve the homeless, but you also have to be thinking in the back of your mind, what's that, why is that homeless program going to be different compared to others that are out there? You also have to be thinking about and doing your research on if that program is being done in your community yet or not. Something just to consider. Yes. Um, just hi. Just to piggyback on what you said, um, the young lady, I actually seeking information or resources for dealing with homeless families. Okay? Not just individuals, but all the mother and the children, homeless. So I actually am a clinician, and my services are paid for through medical assistance. However, I can't treat my clients for some of the causes of their homelessness if they don't have a house. So at this point, that's why I'm here, so that I can collect resources so that I can provide stable housing, and then I can service the family. So to just get paid for seeing the family is not helping the family. So that's an example of how they already, I'm already receiving pay for them, but this is an extension of um, a way of life for them so that it can really help bridge the gap between children going into foster care versus staying in 
Thank you, Tara. Um, what Tara's explained is how to further develop a program. And that's definitely a good way of, a, of looking at grants as well, is that you want to further develop a program that's already in place. So these high-quality programs, they should have goals and objectives. They should have some type of social impact on a, social, on a specific community. So just think in the back of your minds, am I serving adults or am I serving men? and not women, women and not men. Maybe a certain demographic well well, even more specific than that. Think about these as you're developing programs. Now, there's the part where you might not have the program developed yet. It's already been mentioned. Maybe you want to get it started and you want funding for that. So something that you might, that you absolutely have to have in play is strong leadership. Because if you need something funded that's from scratch, the foundation has to be able to see something else, something else that makes your nonprofit more credible. And that's where the leadership comes into play. Who do I mean by leadership? Do I just mean the director of your nonprofit? Volunteers are huge. Um, We've already mentioned the board, but it can be other volunteers as well. It could be senior staff at your nonprofit. It could be another person in your nonprofit. Maybe you have someone that stands out as the volunteer coordinator um, in the nonprofit road. If that director is not the person that's necessarily the strongest of your leaders, there should be other leaders on board at your nonprofit as well. So strong leadership is needed regardless of when, of, of when you're seeking funding, but it's even more important if you haven't received grant funding before. Effective program delivery is the track record part. And it's already been mentioned by Chris earlier with how you were mentioning the history of organization of of why of why funding was needed. You have to be able to explain to a funder your program history if it hasn't been started already. So that's where effective program delivery comes into play. And then durable infrastructure. This is your day-to-day operations. These are the foundation is going to want to know that finances are looking good that you have people with financial backgrounds that are looking over your finances, that you have good program assistance, that you have organization that's set in play where if you were to have to receive an audit or financial review, you would pass with flying colors. I will be taking more questions later, sir. Um, So you have to make sure your day-to-day operations are great in your nonprofit. So before we get into the grant-making world, we have to really consider what is the grant-making world? Does everyone think that the grant-making world is really as big as just our world? So it goes beyond even the United States it, throughout the world. Okay. What, what happens if I tell you that 
this is the fundraising world, then where does the grant-making world fit? So we, we, we have already said that the grant-making world is this big, that it covers the whole world. But what happens if I told you that this was not the grant-making world, that this was the fundraising world? How big is the grant-making world now? Is it, um, is it Australia? Europe, maybe? United States, maybe Greenland. Keep this in the back of your minds as we're going through the big picture of the grant-making world is the size of it. So what I want to do is just give a breakdown of private giving. I'm going to use these nice graphs that have been expertly designed and uh, from only from but from absolutely the top resources out there the top professionals like I got these statistics from the National Center of Charitable Statistics the NCCS and sources of revenue for reporting public charities in 2010 almost 50 percent of revenue that is raised by nonprofits comes from fees for services and goods from private sources. So that means you're either selling something or you're providing a service to people or to groups of people that are not government-related. This is on a national scale. So we're already looking at half the picture. So then we're breaking it down. We got fees for services and goods from government. We also have government grants. We have people that are willing to invest in our nonprofit. And then that 2%. Keep in mind that these are national figures, so this can vary from nonprofit to nonprofit, but that 2% is other income that your nonprofit is raising. On a national scale, what do you think that 2% is? I'll give you a hint. It's not grants. Hmm? Close. Um, not loans, not donations, because that is private contributions. The, the 2% is, on a national scale, how much revenue is raised by nonprofits for membership fees and special events. Just a little bit. And that can vary from nonprofit to nonprofit. Some nonprofits do a lot better at special event fundraising, but 2% on average. Would special event fundraising be like um, to prepare, in my case, to prepare families for school? Special events are galas, um, raffles. Crafties, things like that. Yeah. So, um, 13%, we're looking at that little chunk. So we're breaking it down. 72%, according to the Giving USA report, is from individual donors. So 13%, we've taken that chunk, and now 72% out of that 13 is for individuals. 
Wow, that's quite a difference. I'm going to sit down for a moment. With uh, the 72%, that's a big chunk. So that's letting us know that we need to focus on the people that mean a lot to our community. These are the leaders in your nonprofit as well that are probably giving. These may be big givers outside of your community, but not necessarily. Really, just this 14%, that's the foundation part on average. And that really hasn't changed over the years. Just that little bit comes from private funding. <laughs> Bequest, what people are leaving in their wills, very small percentage. That's been going down in the years. And then corporations, even though it's only showing 5.3% giving from corporations, it's actually gone up a little bit. So we see that big picture. Then from... Oh, come on. Sorry about that. So where do these private grant dollars go? What types of nonprofits do they go to? The big three historically have been education, human services, and health. Those are the big three. And I, I'm pretty sure it's been that way pretty much since the beginning of, founda- of foundation giving, excuse me. Arts has pretty much stayed steady but it's gaining momentum. And then you have the other areas too, in advocacy, environment. Religion is um, consistent as well. And when the Foundation Center does its um, research on different parts of the United States, it's um, very similar even in our region. Still education, still human services, still health. And art stays the same. What do you think about these figures? Do you feel like this is accurate? Yeah. Yeah, you know, in, in our region, nationally, if you even go just within Baltimore into little chunks, it tends to stay the same. Maybe in different neighborhoods it can vary. Like there's definitely arts and cultural districts, so we know that private funding in certain cities is huge. These, so these statistics tend to stay consistent unless they're in little pocket areas. And a lot, it's amazing, I've already sat down and I already feel a whole lot better, so thank you. It's just like suddenly, I feel like I'm suddenly cooling off already. But it's, it's pretty amazing how these statistics are even found. This is a part of the research process for grants. And a lot of these statistics are from the Foundation Center. Is everyone aware that this uh, program is a Foundation Center program? Thank Thank you. It's a Foundation Center program. 
And um, this is what's called a cooperating collection of the Foundation Center. So uh, we're able to get free information like this about the grant-making world. So what we're seeing is um, studies that have been done on philanthropy specific to all types of foundations. And um, it's free to access. If we have time at the end, I'll make sure to highlight some of those as well. Yeah, there's a website with gaining knowledge, and there's also a part in Grant Space, which is a service of the Foundation Center, to get these statistics as well. Did anyone have any questions before we get into the part with kind of breaking down different types of foundations? Um, anyone have any questions about what you need before you seek a grant or anything about the statistics we've seen so far? Can I just have one question? Do yeah. you need a official board before you even ask for a grant? You should. Yeah. And now, um, you you should if you want to incorporate as a five hundred one c three. If you're getting fiscally sponsored, you don't necessarily need to have a board. But um, just see me after if you want more information on that. The track record that you were talking about in terms of the history. Yes. Um, when you're in the formative stages, of course, most of what is being done right now is based on just collaborating resources, getting free resource money from just people. So how do you track that to be able to really present that this is what we've been doing? We've been going to churches, we've been going to other community organizations to get school supplies or to get resources to help families with social, with the security deposits and things. How do I kind of formulate that to be able to be looked at? You want to know how to do program evaluation. So it's not even, we're not even there. I mean, these are the clients, they come up with homeless things, I go out, I recruit resources from people, and that's how we've been able to keep them from going into protective services. So it's just done based on do-gooders. So how do we bring that into a summit? Do we get documentation from these agencies to say we've been sponsoring these families in collaboration with this person who's doing an nonprofit and requesting the money? Yeah, you need something in writing. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, absolutely. Yeah, that's a part of having a strong infrastructure as well. It's just knowing that you're keeping these records that, and these um, statistics and these uh, stories that you can share to the foundation, especially when you're looking for funding. Okay. So, a private foundation. Really, it's not that much different than a nonprofit, but the big difference tends to be in the tax form. Sometimes private organ, private foundations are what are called, um, I guess they they have a uh, tax return status that's known as a 990 PF, 990 private foundation. But then sometimes you have public charities that give which are 990s. But with private foundations, they're nonprofits that have a specific mission. They have specific program and activity purposes that are just like what ours might be like. They have a board as well. But it's more or less how they get funded that's the big difference. Um, a lot of independent foundations, the funding might just come from family, or sometimes even just one individual. I mean, the biggest foundation out there, does everyone know the, the biggest foundation that's in the, the world. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's totally being funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. I mean, no question. 
They're an independent foundation funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. But then some foundations get funded um, from maybe their family, but they might also get funded by us. And those are the public charities. Yeah. Would Annie Casey be one of those? Annie Casey, I believe, is an independent foundation, okay. so they would be funded from um, money that's been left okay. behind for years upon years now. They're not a public charity that gives, they are a private foundation. Okay. You're welcome. What's that? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll talk more about the context. He, um, the gentleman up front asked about contacting foundations. That is the part I'm going to go over in a little bit, too. So we've already talked about a couple of the types of private foundations. The independent ones are the ones where we have more of those out there than any other types of foundations. I think, and this is, this is just a personal perspective here, but I think we tend to think more about the national foundations when we think of foundations. We think of the Bill and Melinda Gates more. We might think of Annie Casey more. We think of maybe Weinberg more. We think about these huge foundations. But independent foundations, these foundations that might be family foundations or might just be funded by one source, one person, or just, a, or just by a family, we, we overlook the smaller independent foundations. So when you're seeking grants as a nonprofit, and if you're looking for independent foundations, really think about those small to medium-sized foundations that are out there, because not everyone can get funded by the big guys. We might think that Weinberg can fund us all, but they have their guidelines. They look for a three-year track record. I think it's three. Um, it sounded like that was three. Possibly. <laughs> what about Open Society? Is that in the same as a private? Open Society is an interesting one because while they're national, they have a lot of local, local regional okay. offices. So Open Society, Baltimore, you would want to look specifically at the Baltimore office. Okay. So that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so we know independents are most of them. Company sponsored, that's a fancy word for corporate foundations. Those are trendy. Whenever I'm um, doing research on the foundation directory online, which is the huge grant seeking for nonprofit database that's available for you for free if you have a library card at the Indifractory Library or at a foundation center cooperating collection. If you're looking for corporate foundations, they're called company sponsored in the database. And just from looking at a lot of the smaller nonprofits, and I even remember this when I used to do grant seeking for my mom's nonprofit, um, places like Bank of America, PNC Bank, some other you know other nationally known banks. Um, not sure if Constellation will necessarily fit in the mix. But corporate foundations, ones that are run as separate from the company. So you have, for instance, Bank of America is one building, Bank of America Foundation, separate building or separate office, two different entities. 
they're starting to gain traction, the company-sponsored foundations. Um, the big thing, once again, with the company-sponsored foundations are the guidelines. I've noticed a lot with corporate foundations that in order to even qualify, you have to see if they look, um, fund your specific state. Some even do um, even more specifics, like uh, Dollar General, they have a foundation. They do uh, literacy for adults. I think they do literacy for teens or children or possibly both. But one of their guidelines is, is you have to be within 20 miles of a Dollar General. Your nonprofit has to be within 20 miles of a Dollar General. That's an example of how company-sponsored uh, company foundations sometimes function. When they, when they fund. So you're not necessarily looking for that national place, because if, if Bank of America only funded where they were located, Nash, uh, in their corporate headquarters, it would just be Charlotte. You're trying to figure out where their subsidiaries are. There are their offices. Operating foundations. It's a simple word, but operating foundations tend to actually raise more funds than actually give them out. Um, there's not a lot of them out there. They're about the same amount as company-sponsored foundations, but usually operating foundations tend to fund nonprofits that are doing some type of research in a specific research area. So for instance, in um, Maryland, there's what's called the Erickson Foundation. It's one of the bigger operating foundations, but they fund nonprofits that do gerontology studies, aging studies. That's an example of an operating foundation. It's, it's kind of funny how, how they work, but if you want more information about operating foundations, feel free to see me afterwards. I can definitely fill you in on more details. But all these foundations pretty much have the same guideline, which is they have a certain amount of assets whether it's in the millions or in the thousands, so on and so forth. But they have to give out at least 5% as a requirement. Of their total funds. Yeah. They have to give out at least 5% of their total funds, their total assets that they have. Um, a lot of them do a lot more than this. And for good reason. They have to make sure that they don't get penalized. And if it's a private foundation, they do have to disclose how much they give in a 990 PF. Um, in your packet, there's actually a handout dealing with seeking, um, looking for funding information with a 990 with a tax return form. And um, it's a very effective way of doing grant seeking research besides just going and looking for profiles or going on websites. And is it the case that for all of these private foundations that the deadlines are all different? Okay. Absolutely. Do not generalize private foundations. They are all different in their own unique ways. Some of them give on a rolling basis, so throughout the year. Some of them do it on a quarterly basis. One time a year, two times a year. Some of them might do bi-monthly. It's a part of their guidelines. That's okay. a fantastic question. Thanks for asking about that. Um, let's see what else. But with the 990 um, PF, 
You'll notice with the example, and it kind of, I guess on top, it's uh, this IRS Foundation annual return. If you're looking for grant seeking information on a tax return, there's only certain parts you need to look for. At the beginning of a PF, there's your contact information. It lists the total assets. It tells you in part one how much money was paid by them in, in grants. So it tells you how much they gave in grant form. It gives you the officers. One of my uh, mentors told me that grant seeking is not necessarily about promoting your nonprofit as much as it's about promoting the people that are going to get you that money. So these people that are promoting your nonprofit, they might know some of those officers. There might be a connection there. There's a potential relationship, a potential partner there. Something to consider if you're looking for the officers within those foundations. So you're talking about looking on their like a website and to, to find out that they can actually see the 990 PF on the website of what they gave and the officers, correct? That's correct. Um, sometimes you can go to the foundation's website and they'll have the 990 publicly listed there. A lot of the larger foundations do that. But then sometimes you have to go to different websites to get that information. Um, foundation Center has a 990 finder that you can access from any computer with internet in and out of the library. Foundation Directory Online has a 990 search. Um, by law, you have to have access to that 990. And um, some of the smaller foundations, it can sometimes be very difficult to get this information. So you might have to contact them directly and ask for a 990. By law, they have to give the 990 to you. The catch is, do they give it to you for free or do they charge you? Most 990s out there are for free and publicly accessible, but sometimes some of them can be hard to find, and that's where you might have to pay a small fee. But if it's worth it for your grant researching process, then it's worth it. And you'll notice in the 992, if you go all the way to the back of a 990, in part uh, 15, that's where you actually get a list of the grants that are paid, and ones that will be paid. So that's one effective way of using a 990 if you're doing your grants research using that form. Is you don't have to use the same form itself. Thank you for showing that, though, because I'll be highlighting that. It kind of has this. You got it. So if you want to learn more about 990s later, you know, once again, broken record, feel free to see me. Or you can learn more at the Foundation Center website or GrantSpace website. Non-990PFs. We mentioned the grant making public charities. Which one do you think is the biggest one in the Baltimore area? That's a grant making public charity. That's the charity. You're getting there in terms of the size. Um, I'll give you a clue. It has the word Baltimore in it. Baltimore Area Grant Maker. 
you're getting close. That's a good organization to know that I'm going to mention towards the end. Almost. Baltimore Community Foundation. They're a grant-making public charity. Community foundations tend to be grant-making public charities. Um, there's 14 now in the state of Maryland. In 2011, there were 10. Now there's 14. A lot of improvement has, uh, has come in the way of uh, grant-making public charities. Associated Black Charities is an example of uh, um, grant-making public charities. There's a ton of grant-making public charities out there as well, and um, you have to keep in mind the size of them. Sometimes we think about those big ones like Baltimore Community Foundation, but we might want to consider the smaller ones that are going to give. For instance, um, you have population issue-oriented funds. Big phrase, but I'll give you an example of one that has the word Baltimore in it as well. And I do apologize, DC, I'm not covering DC enough, or if you're from another part of Maryland, but one of the population issue-oriented funds in this area is a Baltimore Women's Giving Circle. Baltimore Women's Giving Circle? They give towards, um, to nonprofits that serve women in particular, they serve um, nonprofits that serve economically disadvantaged women. That's an example of a uh, population that's oriented funder. Yes? Can you repeat the name? Baltimore Women's Giving Circle. And they're actually tied into the Baltimore Community Foundation. This group of women who are big into philanthropy, they came together and formed their own giving circle. That's the easiest way of explaining what a giving circle is. Corporate giving programs are big, especially if you're looking for something other than money. Who here is looking for more than just money for your nonprofit? It's good to see a fair about half hands up here because you have to think that way. You, you have to think about, well, who could possibly be a sponsor for my nonprofit on events? Who could give supplies? Computers? School Equipment? Food. Like she was talking about maybe contacting a, um, like General Mills or something. Contacting a company and see and knowing that, well, if they're a food company, then they might give food to nonprofits. Right. Making that connection, finding out if that's true or not, that's big. Sometimes these corporate giving programs give people. They give volunteers. Anyone here work in a business or with a company that's looking for volunteer opportunities? It's corporate giving in its simplest form. And what makes corporate giving programs different than company-sponsored foundations is that you, know, you have your company, you have your company-sponsored foundation. You have your company, within it is the corporate giving program. So it's not its own separate entity. It's not its own separate office. Usually corporate giving programs, you can find out about them on company websites. You can also find out, find out about them in um, Foundation Directory Online. You can do a company search. But there's something that makes corporate giving programs a lot different. And that is, they don't have to disclose how much they give. They are not required to do that. So 
when you're looking on foundation directory on Vine, and if you ever get results where it shows a corporate giving program and it shows total assets zero, total giving zero, it's just because they're not required to tell us that. Um, like some of the programs that Target and Walmart have be an example of corporate giving programs? It depends. Um, Walmart and Target have their own separate foundations, but it's very possible they might have their own corporate giving programs that maybe it's located in their human resources office or in a related office that, that gives. Okay. Check their websites on that. They usually, um, big corporations usually have a giving section. Sometimes they even have direct points of contact, but if not that, they'll at least have a phone number and email. You're welcome. I just wanted to show a couple of examples of these um, profiles of some foundations. So one is, um, I know it can be a little small to see, but I'll say what it is. Um, Cloverland Farms Foundation. This is an example of an independent foundation. It doesn't have a family name attached to it. And if it did, it would actually tell you in the profile if it's a family foundation or not. If the word family's in it, then it's a given. But Cloverland is located in Baltimore. And they cover the fields of interest are education and human services. And... They gave one hundred three thousand dollars in two thousand eleven. All of their nine ninety PFs dating back to two thousand one are available on the foundation directory online. But then there's the part where, when you look at limitations, it tells you unsolicited requests for funds not accepted. What does that mean? That means that you just can't send them a letter. Or an application and ask them for funds. It's interesting with with that's a good point. Um, it's interesting with unsolicited requests for funds not accepted line because one out of every two foundations in the United States are in this category where you just can't do the the initial contact of telephone or a letter or a full proposal. So what do you do? You try to get on their radar. You might have to be persistent. If they have a point of contact or an address, this one is Ralph Camp, Ralph Camp 3611 Roland Avenue in Baltimore. If the contact's information is there, what is the worst what is the worst that could happen no a no yes well said that's the worst that can happen because even if they have that line in their in their profile they have their contact information they have to make that public um, sometimes their board members might be someone that you or your organ or someone in your organization might remember. That could be the way of getting the foot in the door. Sometimes um, organizations will go as far as just continuing to send these foundations pamphlets and flyers. They, if they find out their email address, they might email them some information. And say, this is why you know you should you should fund us or send us an invitation. 
there are there is hope. Yes. public, if it's been in the press, that's ammunition. Absolutely. That, that part I go over quite a bit in the proposal writing basics class, which if you are going to be attending that or have already registered, just an update on that, there is a waiting list, but there's also an online version of it as well where I'll make sure to email you that information just in case you're interested. Thank you for mentioning the media attention. That's, how, that's another way of getting on the radar. We already talked about Baltimore Community Foundation, but I put that up just as an example of the Community Foundation. Their profile is huge, but they have a direct pro uh, point of contact, uh, Maya Smith. They have a point, direct point of contact with the communications um, department. If you go on their website, you can learn about their whole staff there and all their different titles. They have a ton of information. You'll notice if you do directory online search, you get all these different tabs, and some foundations we can get more information from than others. Baltimore Community Foundation, you can map their grants, chart their grants, find out news about what they've done. They're on social media. They're a complete package. Example of a corporate giving program. Baltimore Orioles have one. And just for your information, This is a compliment to its foundation. So we just learned, just like that in their profile, that they also have a company-sponsored foundation. The Baltimore Orioles also make charitable contributions of memorabilia to nonprofit organizations directly. Support is limited to Washington, D.C., Delaware, Maryland, Southern PA, and Virginia. And just when we think, oh, they only support athletics and sports. They support education, they do general charitable giving and youth development. And they're listed specifically as in-kind gifts. And they say that you should submit using organization letterhead. But they also tell you that they do not accept requests via email. These are a lot of examples of the specifics of a foundation. And it's all available for you to look at. Edward St. John, architect, Build, makes a lot of buildings. He has his own company-sponsored foundation. And um, he has a direct point of contact, Sharon Akers, executive director. Also has, um, it also lets you know that besides his company, St. John Properties, that he pretty much supports most of the foundation as well. And he doesn't just support organizations that put up property or sell real estate or housing. No, he supports education, higher education, human services, secondary school education, economically disadvantaged, program development, general operating support, just to name a few. This is just reiterates here how there's a lot more independent foundations. Look for those small to medium. It's not all about the big 
foundations out there in this world. And in Maryland, this is just according to 2011, at the time, um, there were 1,479 grant makers located in Maryland alone, private grant makers, foundations. Yet, grants given to recipients, at least according to the last time I saw Foundation Directory Online, 5,521. Grants were given to Maryland nonprofit recipients. So the big question we need to ask ourselves is, so did uh, Maryland nonprofits only receive from Maryland grant makers? No. No. That is the correct answer. They definitely received beyond Maryland grant makers. And in your packet of information, you'll notice a grant maker profile. And it's of a small one that's in Illinois. But it's, it's a good one. It's one where, where um, I think, I don't, I don't think they get anywhere near a million dollars or even in the hundred of thousands. But they're located in Illinois, but they just happen to give to Maryland and they happen to give to a few other, um, a few other states and they're very specific on their funding. And you find out all this information all through the Foundation Directory Online. I'm so, and I, I do apologize in advance if I keep pushing Foundation Directory Online, but I have to mention it only because of its importance to staff and non-staff fundraisers in this world. It really is a one of a kind. So when you're learning more about an organization, a foundation like the Donald K. and Yvonne Cardi Foundation, and you find out that they give general operating support, that they do education, housing, shelter, and religion, and they give primarily in Illinois, Maryland, and Missouri, you know you just did a good amount of research just to pick that up. Because who's heard of them before? Exactly. So, grant research requires time and it requires some digging. We've covered um, different types of grant makers, grant making world. Um, before we get into the last part, which is identifying funders and looking at some resources, did anyone have any questions? Yes? Identifying funders. 
I want to just make sure that I can at least go over the basics behind this. So you have the big three questions of, that you have to think to yourself. This kind of ties back into our little activity from earlier. Why do I need funding and what kind do I need? So type of support. Program development is the big type of support. If you find a foundation that does program development funding, you then have to ask yourself, well, do they do program developing for programs that have been going on for a good amount of time? Or do they do startup program funding? Maybe some um, funders identify themselves as being seed funders, seed money funders. They're willing to help you grow. General operating support is always a popular one. But not every foundation gives the day-to-day -day cost. There's also funding for building capital campaigns, uh, capacity building, just to name a few. Back to the beginning again, how much do I need? Specific amount. But the third question is really the one that is huge. This is the one that you really have to not only think about with yourselves, but with your whole organization is when do I need the funds? This can sometimes be a year-long process with a funder. On average, six to nine months. There are exceptions. There are mini-grants. Weinberg's been mentioned a couple of times today. They got a mini-grant. Other nonprofits have mini-grants that could be less than that six-month time period if you really look at fast funding for your nonprofit and you meet the guidelines. But you really have to set up a timeline when you're doing the grant seeking. You have to really think about how many people work in my nonprofit or volunteer for my nonprofit, and how much time are they willing to put in to the grant seeking process. I learned to do it one time to two times a month. Bigger nonprofits can probably do it once a week. How much time are you willing to spend? And if you're in the library, using Foundation Directory Online, how long are you going to sit at that computer for? It's a ton of sacrifice. And sure, if you heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that there's this foundation you need to, to look into, take the lead. Still look at the guidelines, though. But if you really want to find foundations, and really want to dig up ones that look like they really match your organization, you have to put in time. I've witnessed uh, people at the grants collection in one week sometimes spend six hours using the database. Unbelievable amount of time. But if that's the time that, you're, well, that you have available at that point, then you know you have it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing what you can find, whether it's accessible only in one spot or beyond one location. Just keep in the back of your mind that when you're identifying for funding, too, from these funders, that it's only one part of your fundraising plan. That you really do have to be thinking about how else you're going to be fundraising. The other individuals, if you do apply to a foundation, how many other foundations are you applying to? 
And please make sure you're letting those other foundations know that I applied here and I applied there for funding too. Be transparent, be clear. So you put that in your proposal when you <coughs> when you're building when you're showing your budget proposal, you want to give a breakdown. Or you want to put somewhere, maybe you do this in your initial contact where you let the funder know that you've contacted certain foundations already. You want to make yourself clear. Well, what if it's a fairly long laundry list of people that you make requests to and you put down everybody? If it's individuals, you, you just can put it in one line, really. I mean, you can just show that this is how much I'm uh, putting into the program budget based off of individual donations. Okay. Unless it's someone that's really significant. You might want to ask the foundation about that. Maybe there's someone that you really want to have stand out that you want to let that foundation know so-and-so has given $5,000 to my nonprofit. They believe in what I'm doing. Yes? I'm looking at what I have here and looking at this here. Um, say, why do I need funding and what kind of do I need? And I see that could be like an answer to it. It looks like an example yeah. uh, money for day to day or for the government. Now, is that, um, you know, giving an example to the person that you might need the type of resource that you need at that point in time? Or, let me, let me, how, how about we get? We'll talk later, okay? Because I, I think I think um, I know what you're you're asking for, but it might it might have to be it might get reiterated as we go. But um, some of this is reiteration already because we already mentioned about how you do have to think about the type of support a little bit more. But then you really and we already know that there's that money versus supply part. But then you really have to be thinking about money for one year, multi-year, or continued support. Why did I give that breakdown? I give that breakdown because a lot of grants are only given for one year nowadays. There, a lot of foundations have gone down in what they call multi-year funding. This is not the same as renewable funding. Think of professional athletes here. Some professional athletes have one-year contracts. Some have multi-year contracts where they get signed. And I, I can think of one in particular that is getting towards the end of his 12-year contract that's been in the news a lot lately that's not from Baltimore. But he has a multi-year contract. And multi-year, multi-year, that's multi-year contracts or multi-year grants in this case. A lot of foundations are evaluating your work more than ever. So they tend to stick to one year. But that doesn't mean they don't do continued support. Which means that you've done a program, you've shown it success with one year of grant funding. Maybe you can get continued support from that foundation to improve something else in your program. Um, some foundations, they'll, they'll get um, funding maybe so that way they can reach the goal and objectives of having a certain percentage 
of teenagers be able to read at a certain reading level in a one-year time period. But maybe all of this is being done at home or at other people's homes that are part of this nonprofit. Maybe if they show success, they can try to get continued support that can then go towards a building. That's an example. Matchmaking. We already know that just because a foundation is located in Maryland doesn't necessarily mean that they give to nonprofits in Maryland. There's a pretty good chance, but you need to check on that. So you need to make sure you know that the foundation gives to a certain geographic region. Because it's in Illinois, doesn't mean it's only going to give to Illinois. It could give to Maryland, it could give to other states. Just because a nonprofit lists itself as giving to Maryland, or that it gives to Washington, D.C., or Virginia, it might mean Northern Virginia. It might mean Baltimore City and not Baltimore County. It might mean Annapolis, geographic region. Who funds in my area of interest? Think about what your nonprofit stands for. There should be general areas that are funding interest areas. Human services, health services, education, those are general areas. But then there are specifics when it deals with the programming. So if you happen to have an education nonprofit, the specifics would be maybe looking for elementary education, looking for foundations that support elementary education. It could be looking for adult education. It could be looking for, if it's health service related, nonprofit, uh, these foundations might support nursing nonprofits compared to doctor nonprofits, or services that nurses provide compared to services that doctors provide, yes. Um, is this information going to be provided, do you think, um, on the website of the foundations or in their um, records of their history of giving? It can be a combination of the two. Okay. Um, it should be on their website. It should be in their programs and activities. Um, that's how you ultimately want to find the match. When you're looking at um, who's received funding from these foundations, most of the time there should be a match. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, though, you might find a, find a nonprofit that's been funded by a foundation where you just shake your head and wonder, <laughs> why did they get funded by that foundation? For time's sake, best not to overthink it if you are really tight on time in your grants research. But if you have a lot of time, and if you're willing to do the detective work to find out why a nonprofit got funding from a foundation and you're not sure why, it could be several factors. It could be a point of contact. It could be, it could be that, tends to be the connection. But it could be something that unless we contact the nonprofit, we might never know. I have a question. Usually when you get a grant, you, you finally get everything in order, you get a grant, do they usually, once they say they're going to give you, just say, $500,000, do 
do they usually require that you give them, once they give you the money, a detail showing that how you spent this money? Do you have to, once you get the money, send some paperwork back to them showing them that yes, you did buy the computers and yes, you did buy the office supply and uh, receipts and all that. Do you have to do that? Foundations um, usually give you the, the documentation to keep track of that. Okay. Uh, a lot of foundations do that nowadays. They'll, they'll give you ways of, um, they'll let you know how they want you to keep track of that. But it do depends they, on the foundation. That, do they require that you turn in a copy to them? Oh, I mean, you, you have to keep them posted, yeah. absolutely, yeah. But they're all different. Some might require paperwork or something submitted online every month. Some might want a quarterly report. Um, they're going to want some type of report from you. It just depends on the foundation. That's a good question. So uh, what we, uh, I want to just make sure that we can cover the rest. We will, we will take more questions soon. Um, so we, also, we already covered the part about the type of support that's needed when you're looking at the foundation as well, because we know that foundations just won't support every type of support. It's ideally foundations want to support every nonprofit. That's the dream world. That's, that is actually a part of, of a mind frame of a foundation, but you have to set limitations. So you want to make sure that when you're doing the grant seeking, um, you want to look for those limitations, especially the type of support. And then this is the part where you can get grant details about um, nonprofits. So you find out a lot about the grant maker but you also want to find out more about the recipient. Has the grant maker funded organizations like mine? You can find out from some foundation websites or from the foundation director online who's received funding for what and for a certain amount. You can compare your organization to theirs. If you've really done your research as a nonprofit, you know who your collaborators are and you know who the nonprofits are that are similar to yours or not. So you want to keep that in mind when you're doing the matchmaking. And you also want to think about how much the grant maker would give to an organization like mine or like ours. Um, you have to be realistic, especially when you're first starting off. And if you really have a big amount that you're thinking of, do your research and find out why someone has received $100,000 for a specific type of support. So we've, we've covered a little bit of this already. We know when you were initially contacting the grant makers, that one out of every two does not select, um, accept unsolicited proposals. But they will let you know if a telephone call is best. Bigger ones, some do ask for the email, but if it gives you both the phone number and the email, do the phone. Don't do the text, by all means. <laughs> I only say that because of what I've learned in continuous training on this topic. It happens. Letter of inquiry, the foundation will let you know if you need to submit in a letter, because some will be honest with you and tell you it's hard to reach us by phone. 
So a part of our bleeding process is knowing that we're getting that letter of, of inquiry from you and you're explained to us in as clear and concise of a way as possible about who your organization is and why you need funding. Some even ask for a full proposal. Some will just go right to that direction. But usually the ones that ask for full proposals also get contact information. So full proposals tend to get tied to a phone call. Proposal format. Um, we've mentioned all about how every grant maker is different, but someone earlier mentioned Baltimore area grant makers. So um, make sure to see their website. It is a part of your subject guide. Baltimore area grant makers um, organization, uh, grant makers that are a part of the Association of Baltimore area grant makers use what some of them use what is called the common application form. It's a standardized form for submitting in grants. In the Washington area, it's Washington area grant makers or Washington grant makers. The big thing to know about the common application, the common app, is that just because it's a common form amongst several grant makers doesn't mean that they all have the same deadline. Um, I have had uh, people come up to me and tell me about how they didn't realize that the deadlines were different. They just figured, well, if those 10 foundations all used a common app, then I guess they must all have their grants due on September 1st. Not just the same one. And we've already reiterated earlier about deadlines. They vary. Simple as that. But it's important when you're looking at the deadlines that you do make sure that you see that at that deadline that you have it written down in some type of list because ultimately what you're doing when you're identifying funders and doing the matchmaking is you're keeping a list. You're doing your prospect research. You're saying you're putting down your potential prospects. This foundation, this is the deadline, here's their contact. You're keeping this in a word list or an Excel spreadsheet. You're keeping this information visible at your desk or somewhere in a central spot at your nonprofit or on a specific file in your internet site. You're keeping this information in front of you. Which leads to one of the final parts today, which is the resources. So some of the, I'm with time that we have left, we're at 2.45 right now, so I'm simply just going to tell you about them. But you have them, and in case you don't have them, I'll make sure to send the uh, websites of these places. These can be accessed anywhere. The National Center for Charitable Statistics, SkyStar, ProPublica, Chronicles of Philanthropy. They can be accessed in and out of the library. You get some hard data from National Center for Charitable Statistics on foundations. You can even get profiles of foundations on the National Center for Charitable Statistics. In your packet, in your subject guide, it's known, it's under, um, I believe, the, um, I think it's the Urban, Urban Development League or um, Urban Institute, I'm sorry, Urban Institute. Urban Institute is a part of National Center for Charitable Statistics. They work together. GuideStar, you can look for financial reports in 990s. 
ProPublica is a journalism nonprofit. They are fantastic to know about. Professional word, they're fantastic. They're really good because they dig up information on nonprofits and foundations. And I'm not just talking about the 501c3s and the private foundations or charities that are grant-making charities that give. They have information on all types of nonprofits. They give you a little financial report about that nonprofit, and then you can actually learn more at GuideStore or National Center for Charitable Statistics when you go on ProPublica. Chronicles of Philanthropy, it's good to subscribe to them. Um, they allow you to look, do some research for free, but then some does cost a subscription fee, just to give you a, a, a fair notice about that. It's not all free with Chronicles. But if all else fails, and you know the name of that grant maker, and if you're wondering if they have a website and you don't have access to the directory online in front of you, just do the internet search. It's okay. It's, it's perfectly fine to use the search engine. I had mentioned how this is a cooperating collection of the Foundation Center of the Grants Collection. It will soon be called a funding information network. There's actually 13 in Maryland. The regional office is in Washington, D.C. Know all of these locations. Definitely know the regional office. But if you're from Hartford County and you came down to visit today, there's one in Bel Air. If you came from Anne Arundel, there's one in Annapolis. If you came from Howard County, there's one in Columbia. They are smaller collections but they are locations. I kept mentioning Foundation Directory Online today as that one that you can only use in the library. As of this month, Foundation Directory Online free premiered, which means you can actually access the database to do grant seeking from any computer with internet access in and out of the library now. You don't get as much information in the profile, but you can do the research for free now. Is that the one that you can pay for? The foundation has like, like the basic to the premium? <coughs> yes. Okay, because the premium is like $190 or something for a month. Correct. And then the cheapest one is like 20 bucks or something. And the cheapest one just does the top 1000 Yeah. The foundation director online professional, you're, you're getting, I believe it's in the thousand, one, I think. It, it, it's, it's now over 100,000, believe it or okay. not. I think it's approximately 108,000 grant makers, but yeah, you're paying approximately $100,000. Do they have, do they have the premium version here at the library? Yeah, every funding information network, including the regional offices, have the professional, the most um, comprehensive and complete version. Can you log on through your computer to the library to get the premium, or do you have to be at the library to get the premium? You have to be at the library to get it. Okay, uh, gotcha. Or you have to be at that funding information network to get it. Gotcha. You, um, most of them work that way. One location for every library system or nonprofit resource center. The ones that have more than one location, and I can't even think of any off the top of my head, they're paying more than what I have to to have that subscription. But it's, um, it's, it's, it's a choice. Foundation Center and GrantSpace websites. You definitely want to keep an eye out on GrantSpace for more training because there's plenty of free training from the other funding information networks 
definitely from the Washington, D.C. office. But then there's some good uh, training that you can do from your computer. Or you can do the self-guided training where you download the training for free or at a low price and then look at it at your own pace. And then Philanthropy News Digest is a subscription that's free. It's a newsletter form and you can get requests for proposals. Um, nonprofit information specific to subject areas, and you can customize it in your own way. I mentioned at the beginning about how, yeah, you're, this is just the first step, this is just the beginning. If you really want more training, there's a lot of free options, of course, but if you really want more advanced training, you're starting to develop your skills more, it might not hurt to pay a fee. So I have to promote at least a few organizations that provide great fundraising training, including Maryland Nonprofits, Association of Fundraising Professionals, there is a Maryland chapter, Association of Baltimore Area Grant Makers and Washington Grant Makers have their own training sessions. ABAG does a common application training. And Maryland Governor's Grants Office, they tend to list foundation funding that is on a rolling basis. I asked him about it, I said, how do you decide as a government grant resource center which private foundations to post up? And they said, we tend to put up the ones that give throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Or we post up ones that are mini grants, ones that get asked for the most. It was good to learn about that, a little insight. An example of one of us asking a nonprofit for more information. And then, of course, you have a grants collection like the one here. This also acts as a state library resource center. So usually what happens is, is that if the funding information network in Maryland does not have everything or they're really stuck on the topic, they end up contacting pretty much one person at the Enoch Pratt Free Library who then has to somehow fit in the time to answer that question. Sometimes he does it over the phone. Sometimes he does it by email. Sometimes he does it live in a chat session. And he loves every minute of it. He's actually presenting right now. And uh, a big conclusion. Sorry, I had to be um, Conclusion, pretty much continue to build your organization. You're starting off with grants, that's great. But make sure that it's credible, make sure that it's ethical, make sure that you keep track of how you're succeeding, how you're making a social impact. That you're not just getting funding to survive and to be alive, but you're getting funding to make a difference in your community. Be the matchmaker and know that those foundations want to partner with you. And they might even suggest other nonprofits to you that might be potential partners as well. In the end, we're one big network, really, when it comes to the nonprofit world. Foundation fundraising, from what we saw on the, um, the graphics, the, the pies, it's just a little part. Sorry to be honest about that, but it's a part. And it's good to know that as you continue to fundraise. And if you happen to come inside here, any librarian in the social science history department can assist you with grants, research, and assistance. 
they might call on me or they might contact another foundation center site sometimes, but we all work as one big network. So it is 2.55 since we've gone over time. I'm not just going to leave at 3 o'clock. I'm going to stick around in the 3.15. Um, before I take any more questions, I do want to thank you for once again coming to today's program. And you should have an evaluation form. Please make sure to fill that out. And if you can leave it where there is a table in the back corner where there's, it looks like a portrait. And there's three books, back left-hand corner. Please leave the evaluation forms there. That continues the program that's provided for free at the Unit Factory Library. These books, by the way, that are displayed today, you can check them out. So if you end up deciding to bring them around the library to look at or check them out today, feel free to. Most of the collection can be checked out for free and um, without having to pay any fee whatsoever. Any overall questions? Let's see. Yes, what was that? You talking about funding. So you shouldn't really ask for funding if you're looking for operational funds. The, the question that's just been asked is, should you, can, should you really be asking for operational support funding if really program development funding is, is kind of the big one? Um, the answer to that is, if you, if you feel like you need to apply for operational support, then, then do it. But the big thing, and some foundations only provide operating support. Right, that's what I was asking. The big thing, though, when is not to rely right. on the foundation fundraising for operational support. A component. Yeah, it should be a component. It should be a part of your diversity in the fundraising plan. If that's how it fits in, the operational support if anything, when you're trying to get operational support from a fundraise, from a foundation, you usually have to make a good point in writing and in your relationship building that you have successful programs. You have to tie it in anyway. You have to show that you're making a social impact. Any other overall questions? Yes. And I, and I hope this question is going to other than what you explained to today, I, my question is things that pertain to before you ask for the grant in the area of establishing the body of the UC, the board of directors, can you direct them to a source that can sort of ABC that once you do that? For starting I, have the, I have the idea of the concept of the air service that I want to serve. Yeah. Um, it's just that I need to get the if, if you want to set up a nonprofit, you really need some step by steps, maybe some type of um, schedule that can help guide you along. Some good offices, some good resource centers. There are several. I mean, this is one such place. But the government agency in Maryland that deals with nonprofit startup is the Maryland Secretary of State's office. And they have a charitable organization division. Pete Fossilman is their um, secretary, uh, their director. And um, 
They have a nonprofit startup checklist. They also have the Maryland Solicitation Act information on there. Because when you're um, getting, when you're soliciting for fundraising, you have to make sure that you're allowed to solicit um, from people and from funders within your state. But there's also different rules on if you ought to solicit funds outside of your state. There's actually a unified um, solicitation and um, that in itself is collaboration at its finest when all 50 states have a code that you can be a part of. So Secretary of State Charitable Organization Division, Maryland Nonprofits specializes in nonprofit startup, Community Law Center, right on Keswick Avenue. Great nonprofit startup nonprofit. And they're actually doing a program on um, Tuesday, November 26th for free. A conference here? Yep, they're, they're doing a two-hour program here on Tuesday, November 26th. Which, by the way, with the contact information you have today, it does have the grants collection website, and it does include uh, the website that you go to if you want to look for upcoming events. For today's program, if you have not signed in, um, I do have a sign-in sheet, and. Um, I'm going to leave it just right on this chair. And, you, and uh, you're more than welcome to, um, for, to pass it around the room. Um, you have a question? Um, I was wondering if there's any point at which you cool. recommend like, involving um, your legal team or accounting team or maybe like CCing them on correspondence between uh, yourself and a grant maker? Good question. Um, you know, when you have, this has to do with professional um, people that work for your nonprofit or maybe advising in some way your nonprofit, whether it's a lawyer or an accountant or a financial advisor, should they be in on the grant, on the foundation um, contact part? You know, I, I don't have a solid answer for this, but I would say that you have to put yourself in the shoes of the foundation. Um, if they noticed that you are contacting them and that you have to CC your lawyer on the conversation, how is that? How do you think the foundation would feel? Not so good about it. Yeah, it, they might get a little uncomfortable if you are keeping your lawyer in the mix on things, but keep them on that side because the lawyers and the accountants, they're your advisors. They're, they have that specific skill where if you're not sure if something is right or wrong that you're doing, that's how you keep them in the loop. It's just between yourselves. Right. And that's a, that's a good question when it comes to keeping people in the mix. Another part that's important too, if you're seeking foundation support, and if you happen at any point during the proposal writing process or the contact process with the foundation, get in contact with that foundation, a foundation board member or a staff member, let the foundation know. So if you're um, contacting them for the first time over the phone and 
maybe you just happened to talk to the, one of the Baltimore County, uh, Baltimore Community Foundation board members about um, how to apply, and that you're interested. Let the Baltimore Community Foundation know that you know, I'm contacting you today because I'm interested in applying for a grant. I just wanted to let you know too that I talked to so and so from your foundation to, to learn a little bit more about you already. You have to figure out how to say it in a nice professional way, of course, but be transparent when it comes to anyone else that you're contacting in that foundation. Don't keep secrets from the programming officer. Keep them in the loop on, on who you're contacting within their organization. They'll, they'll at least know that, um, they'll at least know what to anticipate. Um, any other questions? Um, at, at this time, uh, you feel free to see me for one-on-one -on -one questions. want to thank you again for coming into today's program.